Section 5 of The Vampire Nemesis and Other Weird Tales of the China Coast by Dolly. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ben Tucker. Section 5 Death Grips, Part 4 Presently something whispered to me that I was a boy again and that we were spending our seaside holidays at dear old Hastings. I felt myself smiling derisively at the folly of the idea, for the carpet was at my feet, and not the sands of the seashore. Nevertheless, prompted by some resistless impulse, I sat plump down on the low fender and commenced vigorously to pull off my boots and socks. I saw the faces of the company broaden into one universal smile, and I cursed myself for my madness. Yet I was impelled to go on with the farce I loathed. I was helpless, urged relentlessly forward by some strange force that seemed to be directing the movements of my limbs. I looked back appealingly for aid to the other me, but that bank of lurid fog hid me from myself. Then I sprang up with a shout of exultation such as only the exuberance of boyish spirits could give birth to, and ran to and fro on the carpet, kicking up with my bare feet imaginary foam. The spectators were convulsed with laughter while I was torn between a desire to rail at them, an equal wish to curse myself, and a fear of losing the enjoyment of this glorious paddle through the waves. How long I continued successfully to play the imbecile to an admiring circle of friends I do not now distinctly recollect. I grew tired of the sport at last, and commenced slowly to draw on my discarded footgear, having first carefully dried my feet. Then I stood up once more, and as I did so the mists advanced, and I was again in darkness. It passed by me, however, hovering in front of the company, ever receding until it divided and resolved itself into the two primary jets of smoke. These gradually shrank and concentrated, then disappeared altogether, and I found myself looking into the eyes of Arnold Rawdon, who was lying white and still on a neighboring couch. They clapped their hands in delighted relief as they saw me look round once more with rational glance. Then our hostess turned to Rawdon, asking him if he felt unwell. Oh, it's nothing, he replied weakly. Pray, don't mind me. I shall be all right in about five minutes. The mental strain has been rather great, that is all. My first feeling was one of fury at having thus been made a clown of for the amusement of the company. Then the humorous aspect of the case struck me, as I smiled to think how completely Rawdon had turned the tables on me. Next, my scientific interest was aroused as I looked back on my experience. Every little action, every thought, was as clear to me as if I had done and thought them in my normal state of mind. The only moments of oblivion had been during the transition periods, when the mists had closed in around me. And yet, conscious though I was of every act, and absurd as it seemed now to look back upon, I could at the time no more have helped doing what I had done than I could have wished to repeat the edifying performance now I was my own master. To say that I was lost in wonder would but imperfectly convey my sentiments. Here was a new sensation with a vengeance. Of course, I told myself, there was some trick in it, but it was a trick full of interest, a trick worth knowing. Meanwhile, the buzz of animated conversation arose again. Arnold Rowden roused himself as someone poured him out a glass of port, which he swallowed eagerly, 
and soon was smiling blandly and making glibly untruthful answers to the eager queries of, How is it done? He did not say a word to me except to ask, Feeling the worse for your experience? To which I answered with a curt, No, thanks. Afterwards, a young lady present expressed a desire to be put off if Mr. Rowden would promise not to make her do anything ridiculous. Rowden readily gave his promise, and eager hands drew an unoccupied armchair into the middle of the room into which she sank. She was a girl of highly strong imaginative temperament, very different from myself, who, they declare, am possessed of a cool judgment and iron resolution that would do credit to a Wellington. It seemed to me that she was half under the influence, with the strength of an excitable imagination, ere Rodden commenced operations. I could not see his eyes, his back being towards me, as he seated himself opposite to her, but I noticed that the hair on the back of his head was standing on end. The man's whole frame seemed to dilate and grow larger until there was a certain rugged grandeur, a bearing that was almost majestic in his pose. I watched the proceedings narrowly, and it must be confessed, still somewhat skeptically. At the first sweep of his arms, the girl's eyes dilated as if with sudden horror. At the second, the iris contracted again suddenly until the pupil was narrowed to little more than a pinhead. He threw his arms up a third time and let them sweep slowly down, and as his arms swept down for the sixth time, a violent shuddering shook the frame. As his hands left her face, down which they had traveled with almost caressing touch after the seventh pass, the eyelids snapped open again, and she was looking straight in front of her with the sightless stare of those that look seeing nothing. Amid a breathless stillness, Rawdon leaned forward and looked into her eyes for a moment, then he said quietly, She is under the influence. There was a long-drawn breath, as though of relief from the spectators. Rawdon turned toward them. What would you like her to do? A lady by my side beckoned to him, and he crossed the room and bent over her. She whispered, Make her smell that bunch of violets in that vase over there, and then destroy them. The hypnotist glanced over to where, on a small table, stood a Sèvres jar with a bunch of violets in it. Then he straightened himself, and almost at the same instant, the girl struggled up from her armchair and came hurriedly and unerringly across the room to where stood the vase. Without a moment's hesitation, she picked up the bunch of violets and inhaled their fragrance. Then she suddenly dashed them on the carpet, and with a swift... Access of fury stamped her little foot on them and ground them to shreds with her heel. Then she walked back to her chair and sat down as impassive as she had been before. Rodden now crossed to her side and laid his hand on her forehead, leaning over and saying something, what I could not hear, to her in a low voice. Another tremor passed over her, and her eyes closed for a second or two, then opened again, this time with their natural expression, though a trifle bewildered. We crowded eagerly around her. "'Oh, everything seems so funny!' she exclaimed, gazing around. "'Did you know what you were doing?' someone asked. "'Oh, yes, I knew perfectly well. Only I could not help doing it,' she turned and gazed ruefully at the crushed blossoms. "'And I am so fond of violets, too.' There was no mistaking the genuine regret in her voice at her palpable act of vandalism, and I, for one, was convinced." Rawdon, meanwhile, was standing outside the circle, quietly turning over the leaves of an album, utterly unconcerned whether anyone disbelieved the evidence of their senses or not. End of section 5